Kelly who will be speaking uh, today for us. Uh, so uh, let's uh, bow our heads together and uh, pray. Uh, dear Holy Father, thank you so much uh, for this uh, chance to uh, worship you together as one body. And we thank you so much that uh, Anthea was able to make it today as well to speak to us. Um, please give us strength today um, to expound your word faithfully and truthfully. And may those of us who um, are hearing your word today um, not only be um, informed by it, but to be moved and changed by it. Um, help, us to, um, great, uh, help us to gain a deeper love for you and um, I guess a greater passion for your gospel as well. And may this um, talk really, um, I guess, inspire us um, to continue to live for your kingdom and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you had a great Easter and a great time to celebrate uh, our death and resurrection of our Lord. And this week we're continuing on to think about resurrection hope today and tomorrow in our chapel service. Um, and this is a passage that I have chosen, 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. Um, most of you know that I was diagnosed last uh, November with advanced ovarian cancer. Um, this is one of the headlines uh, from one of the internet or thousands of internet blogs um, on cancer. And it says this, Go from no hope to cancer-free in two weeks. <laughs> Such headlines um, in cancer forums abound. I have browsed them from time to time, but I must admit I try to avoid them. Um, I find it too sad, too overwhelming. Um, people are sick, they're confused, uh, they're powerless, uh, they're dying, and so often they're completely lacking in hope. Every day there are desperate cries of anguish, promises to beat this a scourge of cancer by staying positive and eating well. On that day um, back in November, after seeing the GP and the surgeon, all I heard were a few words really, uh, tumour, masses, uh, possibly inoperable, not curable, get your affairs in order. Of course, I believe that God can do anything. He can use modern medicine and he can do more in his miraculous power. But when faced with um, terminal illness, the reality of my own human mortality hit me like a tsunami. Um, the diagnosis and the prognosis threatened my hope and I found my Christian faith challenged. How strong was my faith? Why was I so afraid of dying? Where was my hope? Why do I want to live so much? I worried that my faith was founded on cure. I worried that my hope in the next life was more anemic than my strong love of the hope of life in this life. So since my diagnosis, I've traveled back through the Bible and the foundations of my faith as I've struggled with these fears and I've sought to cultivate Christian hope. And friends, this is what I wanna to say today, that the reality and the significance of our Christian hope is a Bible teaching that we all need to have 
We all need to go back to this time and time again. And it's why I chose this passage today, because in it, Peter reminds us of the Christian hope. He details the Christian hope and he talks about its content. Why does he do that in this letter? Well, if you know one, Peter, you know that there are various hints in the letter that the people that Peter is writing to are doing it tough. Here in this passage, even in verse 6, he mentions all kinds of trials. Later on in the letter, he talks about the conflict that Christians are having with their non-Christian friends who are giving them a hard time because as Christians they're no longer engaging in the sort of activities that their non-Christian friends are. There may even be an undercurrent of persecution at a state level. Perhaps it's just the pressure of trying to live as a Christian in a community having made a radical change, a Christian conversion that's brought them into tensions and conflicts with rejections and mockery from their non-Christian neighbours and friends and work colleagues and masters and even husbands. Perhaps they're just weighed down by the minor and the major trials of daily life itself. Whatever, Peter's people need encouragement. They need encouragement to persevere in the Christian life. They need encouragement to maintain their integrity before God. They need encouragement to maintain their Christian witness before others. They need to be encouraged to be the people whom God has called them to be, despite the fact that they feel like aliens and strangers. And so Peter writes this letter. And you see where he begins in verse 3 by reminding them of the hope that they have. He talks about its basis and its content and its sureness. Verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Peter reminds them that God has acted towards them in great mercy. God has freely poured out his love and his grace upon them who did not deserve it. He's acted in mercy to give them a new birth, a second birth, to give them a fresh start in life, a fresh start with God. We couldn't perform this. We couldn't engineer it, we couldn't be reformed, we couldn't be informed about this new life with God. We had to be transformed by a very um, new birth, a second birth. And he says that God has acted to give new birth into a living hope. Not a dead-end hope that is so often offered by so much in the world today. It's not a dead political or religious or economic hope. It's not even the good hope that modern medicine brings, which might give us hope of a little bit of extra life in this world. But it's a hope that promises life. It delivers life. It delivers life that is real and it is enduring. How does God give us 
this living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection. We were reminded last week at Easter of the centrality and the significance of the resurrection to the Christian gospel. But friends, any hope that you and I have as Christian people is solely grounded on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because he rose, we will rise. Do you remember the words of Jesus to Lazarus in uh, John? At the graveside, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What does Jesus do then? He asks a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is a question that we have to face, not just in our head, but in our heart, isn't it? The Christian hope is as sure as the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is why it is a living hope. It's grounded on that fact. And so the question we have to ask is, do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and gives new life and an eternal living hope to us? Peter goes on to speak of the future orientation of this Christian hope. Do you see there that he describes it also as an inheritance? Verse 4, In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. We often look forward to receiving an inheritance, don't we? I have a friend who has never had much money and she has done it tough. And uh, as much as she doesn't want her father to die, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she looks forward to the time when she will receive her share of the inheritance because <laughs> what that means is that she'll no longer have to struggle. And so she has this habit of going around the house and putting labels, sticky labels on all the bits of furniture with her name on it, um, which always makes her father a little bit nervous. Um, but sometimes we don't know um, whether we'll get an inheritance or whether we'll be the recipient of it or what it will be. But not so the Christian inheritance. Peter says this is an inheritance that we do know. God has put our name on it and it's waiting for us. And he says that it can never perish, spoil or fade. Moss can't eat it, sin can't destroy it, Satan can't snatch it away from you. And we're reminded of the link back to the past with Israel and their inheritance. Remember the land, the land that they were given by God. And it was an inheritance that they held on with a bit of a shaky grasp. It was always under threat, threat from outside, 
threat from inside, from Israel's own disobedience and idolatry. It was an inheritance that faded into exile. But not so the Christian inheritance. It's an imperishable inheritance. It cannot be destroyed, defiled or polluted. It won't fade away. Its colours will remain as vivid and strong and lively and vibrant as sure as the day when Jesus secured it for you and I on the cross by his death and resurrection. It's an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. It's guarded, it's protected, it's safe, it's sure. And Peter names this inheritance for us, this hope again, by using another word in verse 5. He calls it salvation. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is a salvation that we look forward to, but Peter says that it's in very real measure ours now. We can know this salvation now as we respond to God's promises and as we are shielded by God's power as we put our trust in him. And he spells this present experience of salvation in verses uh, 10 to 12. Do you see there that it's a salvation that has been long promised, promised by the prophets? It has a long history and God's been working for a long time to bring it to fruition for us. Do you see that it's a salvation with a pattern? It's a salvation which comes about by the sufferings of Christ, which leads to his glory. And Peter will instruct them as he goes on in the letter that this is actually our pattern too, of suffering through the glory that promises hope in the midst of sufferings because glory will follow. It's the pattern of Christ that Christ followed to bring us to glory as well. And lastly, do you see that Peter says that it's a salvation that has now been revealed to them in the gospel and that even angels longed to look into these things but now we are a privileged people who are the recipients of this gospel. Yet Peter points continually our eyes forward. Christian hope continues to have its eyes forward as much as we hope and enjoy this living hope in the present. It's a salvation that is sure, it's kept for us, but it's yet to be revealed. I'm not into showy cars in showrooms, but it's a little bit like a, um, a new car in a showroom and it's still under the tarpaulin uh, and until that final time when you know, it's whisked off and everyone is able to see that glorious, shiny car for all its glory. Christian hope is something that we know now that we have as a sure inheritance, but it is something that we look forward to. The promise of that inheritance, the guarantee of the resurrection, uh, that this inheritance is ours, and looking forward to the final consummation of all that has been promised for us. And so in verses 6 to 9, Peter says that this is a great reason for rejoicing, rejoicing now. 
I heard this ad from a lost and found column in a West Indian newspaper. It said, lost dog. It's got three legs, a broken tail, blind in one eye, and recently castrated. It answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little picture, isn't it? It's a little picture of us. Uh, not much going for us. <laughs> Maybe not the castrated bit. Um, <laughs> not much going for us. Um, no hope in the world. Uh, yet God, by his grace, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and we wait for a glorious inheritance. So we are lucky. But he gives a very real description of our present life. Do you see how he goes on? Though for a little while you have had to suffer all kinds of grief. Suffering can come in all shapes and forms. But this passage tells us that the Christian hope that we have can sustain us through that suffering. Indeed, we will be able to rejoice. The trials that we have need to be seen within the context of the end. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, and it goes on, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see he says that trials reveal the genuineness of our faith. Uh, when we are tested, we are forced to go back to the basics of our faith uh, and to the promises of God. It's, it's a challenge and a test of faith that I found very unwanted. <laughs> um, it's an unwanted test, uh, but it has a purifying effect. And it also shows whether our faith and trust in God is genuine. And in the end, do you see, there will be praise and honour and glory, I take it, for our faith. A faith which has been enabled by God but when salvation is revealed we are welcomed into the eternal presence and glory of the Father where we will hear those words well done good and faithful servant so Peter wants to tell his readers that the Christian hope is a sustaining one it provides a a fundamental grounding of joy in the Christian life which can be held on to despite the, the things that you are experiencing. It's a curious thing, isn't it? And that's why I think when it says that it's indescribable, it's inexpressible, the joy that we can have in the midst of our circumstances. And what it's, what it's saying to us is that no matter how twisted the plot lines of our lives become, no matter how painful or evil the story might seem to be, the key event in history has occurred, the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And that resurrection guarantees the ending of our story and it gives meaning to our present lives here on earth. And that is our great 
hope. So Christians more than anyone else in this world should be people who know real joy and optimism in life as well as death. That is a joy that I am on a journey with, I must admit, that I'm trying to cultivate in my Christian life. But in order to know that joy, um, amidst the trial, I need to cultivate my hope. A colleague once told me a story of a parent with twins. The parents had two sons. One was an incurable optimist. The other one was an incurable pessimist. Now, parents don't tend to like those sort of extremes, uh, so they wanted to kind of bring them both back into some sort of uh, middle ground, knock a bit of optimism off the incurable optimist and knock a bit of pessimism off the incurable pessimist. So they thought they'd um, try an experiment. One Christmas, uh, they thought they would give the incurable pessimist the best gift in the world, a room full of toys. And they'd give the optimistic kid uh, a room full of horse manure. <laughs> well, Christmas morning came about and they sent their children up to their rooms. And after a while, they wondered uh, why they weren't hearing any noise. So they went up and they went to check first on the uh, pessimistic kid. And to their surprise, he was not in the room playing with the toys. He was standing outside the door looking in despair, saying, I'm never going to get the time to play with all these toys. <laughs> anyway, so they went to the other uh, child's room and uh, to their surprise, he wasn't standing outside the room. He was actually inside the room. So they went in there and there he was with a shovel. There must be a horse in here somewhere. <laughs> if we actually understand Christian hope, we can be like that optimistic <laughs> child. <laughs> we might have to shovel a lot of manure. <laughs> but like the optimist, there is always a horse there. <laughs> so what should we be doing today? Rejoicing in the hope, the living hope of our salvation. When, when, I, when I look at this passage, I am glad I am glad that when I fail, I know that in his mercy he has given me new birth into a living hope. When I read this passage, I am glad that I am an alien and a stranger in this world and my home belongs elsewhere and that a glorious inheritance is waiting for me. And when I read this passage, I am glad that when life is insecure and shifting, that there is a sure ground of joy and hope to stand on. And when I read this passage, when I confront the crushing need of those around me with no hope in this world or the next, I am glad that I have a salvation to share with them. This is the Christian hope. This is the hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees for us. And friends, our ongoing challenge 
is to keep our hope fixed on God, hope that endures despite no cure, and hope that endures in the face of death. Because if we put our hope only in the things that will be destroyed, no matter how good they are, we will miss out on the greatest source of hope available. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord God, that you will cultivate our Christian hope, Christian hope which is sure and enduring, that can never be taken away, and which helps us to live well in this life and the next. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Mark and we're going to continue in our time of